As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Canucks Conversation is brought to you by the all-new 2023 Toyota BZ4X. The BZ4X is Toyota's brand new all-electric SUV that is designed to go the distance for you and your family. The BZ4X is packed with Toyota's coolest tech, but it still has that trusty SUV feel you know and love. And even though it's electric, it's capable of effortlessly conquering any terrain, whether it's rain, snow, mud, or your friend's questionable post-game recaps. And after March or after February, harm, there's been a lot of questionable post-game recaps. The BZ4 will get you through. We're coming to you from the iconic Wall Center in downtown Vancouver. Looking for your next meeting space, contact Wall Center for all your event needs at sales at wallcenter.com. The Canucks were absolutely walloped at home last night against the LA Kings 5-1. They looked disinterested in the hockey game from the very beginning, Harmon. It felt like that through the entire 60 minutes, didn't it? Yeah, they looked out of sync right from the puck drop, having difficulty connecting elementary passes on the breakout, just generating no speed through the neutral zone, which is a recipe for disaster because this Kings team already defends the blue line so well. So if you tack on the fact that you're not sharp uh, managing the puck yourself and being able to play with pace, you're going to run into all sorts of uh, of issues. And that's what we saw. The Kings consistently had players packing the defensive blue line, forcing plays to the outsides, uh, to the corners, and then, they'd, and then they'd win all of those puck battles, and it would kill Vancouver's ability to try and get offensive zone time established. It was, it was a really, really rough one. It felt like we were watching Vancouver's breakout and forecheck execute in slow motion. Well, the team just looked like that. And I mean, Rick Tockett, you know, you, he talked about it post-game and we'll, and we'll run to the clip right now because I want to listen to what Rick Tockett had to say just before we get into it, Harm. You know, there's six or seven guys who are just, they're not, their game's not there. Um, for every reason, some guys got heavy legs and we're going to have to, you know, hopefully this day off will recharge some guys. So the day off is today and you hope that those guys get recharged. He mentioned six or seven guys and heavy legs, and yes, I get it. It is that point of the season, but do you think that had anything to do with their inability to break out, or is that more of a structure thing? Is that more of a system thing, or do you have to give at least some credit to the LA Kings because we know they're a good defensive team? For sure, the Kings deserve some credit, yeah. but that's not an excuse for 
the team's inability to win puck battles all night. Yeah. Right. Like, okay, fine. If LA's forcing you to the outside, if there's not a lot of time and space to operate, the way you come combat that is then you've got to hound the puck. Then you've got to make sure that you're recovering pucks in the offensive zone. And outside of JT Miller, it felt like none of the forwards had any type of energy whatsoever. And even if you're then playing a game where it's tough to manufacture offense, then the onus is also on the Canucks then defensively to play structured, to play tight. They've done that for most of the season. I think they've defended uh, well. The difference has been night and day in terms of where they were last year, for example. But last night's game, you also saw the bad habits, the shooting yourself in the foot that led to goals against that we saw in the Bruce Boudreaux era. Yeah. Right. That's honestly what it felt like. You look at, you go through each goal. There's as talking would say an egregious breakdown <laughs> or mistake uh, happening. Dowdy's first goal, for example, bad line change. There's zero back pressure on that rush as LA is transitioning up the ice, all sorts of time and space for Moore and Fiala to uh, see what options they have available. Then Dowdy has all, has all the time and space in the world uh, to take fourth man's ice to load up for a big clapper. Uh, Kopitar's second goal, Elias Pedersen turns it over. He's trying to s- swing a pass back to the Canuck defenseman. Laferriere got a stick on it, so that's why the angle was off. But turnover in that spot, and then not just a turnover, but then if you're going to turn the puck over, you got to pick up Kopitar in that, uh, yeah. in that spot. Nobody there. Uh, Fiala's third goal. Where is Ian Cole going? Yeah. I mean, how are you allowing still, that type of back he's, pass? He's still going. Yeah. Apparently, as we speak, he's still going. Brent Clark's fourth goal. Uh, Elias Pettersson stripped of the puck by Anze Kopitar down low. Then it's Quinn Hughes pinching up the wall, caught out of position, which happened multiple times this game. Uh, You don't see that from Quinn Hughes very often in terms of the out of position defensively, pinching in the wrong spots. And then Trevor Moore, the fifth goal, uh, JT Miller turnover. Do you attribute that to, okay, so you mentioned Quinn Hughes, you mentioned Elias Pettersson, you've mentioned Ian Cole, but then you've also mentioned JT Miller. So three of those four guys are the guys that they lean on a lot. Do you attribute that to fatigue or are we now seeing the Canucks go up against some pretty good opponents and these are the type of hockey games that they're going to be playing down the stretch? It's a bit of both. I think in the third period, you could sense that the top guys were starting to lose some of their composure. Mm-hmm. They were starting to force plays that weren't necessarily there, especially in that third period. Once uh, Fiala restored the two goal lead, you can understand from the player's perspective, how are we going to mount a two goal comeback? Uh, considering we've, we've had almost nothing all, uh, all game. That's when you start to, tr- you, 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 you force plays that aren't there. Uh, frustration seeps in certainly after Patterson got stripped of the puck on the fourth goal, you saw him slamming a stick on the ice. I think the frustration aspect is part of it. And that's honestly a, a big thing that I thought at the end of the first period, which was so boring for both sides. <laughs> yeah. uh, Kings of course got the one Dowdy goal, but Canucks had three shots on goal in the first period. And I'm thinking this is going to be an interesting test of Vancouver's composure Yeah, because they haven't had many nights like this where they're just given nothing and in terms of yeah. offense. Nothing's going your way. You got to try and create it. So there was probably, I mean, there was definitely a message after the first period, but clearly it wasn't received because the second period wasn't as, wasn't good at all from them. Yeah. It was, it was more of the same just across the board. I think as we're sort of looking at um, what's gone wrong uh, for this team, 
it feels like everybody's underperforming. Like outside of Miller, I mean, Besser, who's now scored in three, three straight games, and maybe Nils Hoaglander, who seems to have a consistent effort. Uh, that there are just way too many passengers on this team right now. Yeah, a lot of passengers. Um, Archdeep Baines, Canucks just announcing Patrick Alvin that he has been sent down to Abbotsford. I don't think that that should come as a surprise. I know it doesn't to you and I and a lot of people that are around this team a while, but, you know, he he got his little bit of, you know, he got his NHL debut. That was probably his best game, but on that line with him, Elias Lindholm and Connor Garland, he just kind of looked out of place, wasn't really winning puck battles. He had that one chance in front of the net. Why he didn't pass that puck or why he did pass that puck is beyond me. Maybe a little bit uh, too much now for RHD Baines. And you know what? He he got his taste of the NHL, which was great. He earned the call up, made his NHL money for a little bit. But I think for the Canucks, now they really need to look at their lines and and figure things out. Elias Lindholm was traded here. He is a one-two center in the National Hockey League. Elias Lindholm is the best, has the best faceoff win percentage on this team. Why is he trying to carry a third line? He should be their second line center, and they should figure it out with who, him or Elias Pettersson as to who plays the wing, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I think, as I said on yesterday's show, I don't think you're going to feel comfortable th- about the top nine law, line combinations until Pettersson and Lindholm figure it out because, yeah. I mean, Miller and Besser clearly are uh, a a duo that continues producing since the all-star break. You're not going to separate those guys, but Pedersen and Lindholm, they need to work together because you look at the issues right now. Well, Lindholm can't really drive a line on his own. Pedersen. Yeah. He's not producing individually, but part of the conversation has also been, well, he's got Ilya Mikheyev on his wing. So, it's clear, so, so he's clearing an anchor right yeah. now. Yeah. So if you, if they can work together, they both solve each other's problems where Lindholm would no longer need to drive a line. If Pedersen's playing at his best. And if Lindholm is playing up to his potential, then Pedersen has a line mate that can finish his chances and actually give him some support. Yeah. Well, I think that they have to figure it out. Like you almost have to just do that again, have JT as your number one center and figure it out with Lindholm and Pedersen because the Mikheyev experiment isn't working. I know you have numbers for a lot of these guys and we'll, we'll get to them in a second, but the Mikheyev on the Pedersen line, I mean, that's probably that experiment needs to end soon too. The problem is, is where else are you going to put Mikheyev? Because if he's not doing anything with Elias Pedersen, where is he going to do anything? Well, also, who else are you going to put in that spot period, yeah. right? That's we true. saw... Sam Lafferty get a couple of shifts in that spot. Obviously, they went to the lotto line in uh, the third period, and I didn't mind that, but it's not like they um, were pressing or looking particularly potent um, as they were pressing to generate some late offense. Yeah, it's just up and down the lineup. I, I think coming out of this slump, it has to be the top guys that take you out of this. I mean, Quinn Hughes, as much as we focused on Pedersen and hit him needing to elevate his game, uh, Hughes only has six points in his last 12 games. And this is a guy that's been playing an elite level that up until the all-star break was pretty decisively the best player, the most valuable player on this team. So he's a guy you look at. Pedersen's a guy you look at. Elias Lindholm is a guy you look at. Uh, you're hoping that Garland can do a little bit more driving that uh, third line. Those are the guys that are uh, Philip Peronic as well. Those are the guys that I look at as, okay, I want them to lead. And once they start leading, then it's also on some of the secondary pieces further down the lineup to follow them. Well, I think that that's the biggest thing, right? It's it's the it's the domino effect. It's once you figure out what your top six guys are doing, then you can kind of build out the bottom of your roster. I want to say this, though. There are a lot of people 
out there saying that, oh, wait, when Dakota Joshua gets back, it's going to fix everything. When Dakota Joshua comes and maybe when we sign Phil Kessel, it's going gonna, it's gonna to solve these problems on the third and fourth line. Dakota Joshua is not going to solve what's, why the Canucks are getting killed every game. It's, it's not. It's going to balance out a third line, maybe, because Connor Garland right now isn't playing good either, right? I, I just don't think that if you're looking at this team, just one guy coming back that doesn't play in the top six, yeah, okay, that line was good for a while. It had a stretch where it was good, and it was depended on. You just can't see as him coming back and being the guy that's going to save this team. And Phil Kessel, who knows when that's going to happen, right? Even if it does happen, I just think that there's got to be a lot more, and we have to start looking to their top six forwards. There, yeah. there needs to be more production from those guys. Definitely. Uh, I think uh, our special guest is here. Oh, so yes. we should uh, intro him in. Yes, we should definitely get to our special guest. Um, he's actually no secret to this show, but he's brought to you by our Wendy's Daily Faceoff Survivor Pool Game. Wendy's is letting you win real food with your fantasy teams this year and Daily Faceoff. For those of you who smoked the competition like the LA Kings did last night, Wendy's is rewarding you with weekly prizes that will have you winning. Download the Wendy's app and score yourself 150 bonus reward points on your first order and grab a sweet victory from the mouthwatering jaws of defeat, like the Canucks did, along with some fresh, never-frozen beef. Sign up to play Daily Faceoff Fantasy Survivor to win weekly prizes like the spicy chicken sandwich from Wendy's and the Wendy's app. Mystery guest, okay, so it's really weird. This we, you know, I'm filling in for you for this week, but David Quadrelli just couldn't stay away. He really couldn't stay away from his own show. Wow. He really couldn't stay away. He's got the shades on. Are you are you blocking the haters or it's because your He's future is so bright? Stanch. I'm coming to you from the resort that I've spent my week at. Uh just taking a break <laughs> from my vacation uh that I joined. I don't my sunglasses are in the car, so I'm wearing women's sunglasses, but uh, I'm here. I'm here. And I had to be here because there's so much that happened. And I was honestly pretty jealous that I wasn't able to be on the show this week, but you guys have done an awesome job. Uh, and I was very excited when you asked me, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't pitch just, just so we're clear. I didn't stamp my foot down and say, I need to be on the show. You guys asked me and I was very happy about that. So here I am. Well, it's your show, so you should be on it, to be completely honest. But, I mean, obviously, you've been keeping tabs. You mentioned that, you know, you, you wanted to be involved this week. What have you made of the Canucks week that was? Well, where do we start, right? Like, I, I think we have to start with Elias Pettersson signing. Uh, funny story, and he's a regular watcher of this show, and I didn't even tell him this is why I hung up on him, but Moj, Bob Marjanovic, and I were talking fantasy baseball, and then I got a call from Frank Saravalli, and I texted Frank and said, hey, sorry, man, I'm just on a call. And Frank said, no, I need you to call me right now. And I was like, oh, okay, like something something serious is going on. So I hung up on Moj abruptly, and I felt bad about that. But then Frank called me and told me who he was about to tweet. So I got behind my computer and started drafting up the article uh, for Canucks Army. And obviously, that was Elias Pettersson nearing an eight-year deal, is what Frank reported. And man, oh, man, that's where I want to start. Like, I tweeted out yesterday, guys. I tweeted out the wheelbarrow with the nuts in the wheelbarrow and said, Jim, Jim Rutherford, my goodness, the negotiating tactics here. The take I had was this guy's going to be put in the Hall of Fame. And then you realize he is in the Hockey Hall of Fame. And I'm just wondering if we can do it again. Like if you can throw him in there again and just say for his efforts in the Elias Pettersson contract negotiations. I know it's not done, but man, you, you hear all this stuff coming out about this negotiation. And oh, my goodness, the ball's on this guy. Well, that's what I was thinking, right? What other president of hockey ops, according to Elliot Friedman's reporting, would be, would be able to go up to the player and say, Hey, we've got this pretty serious trade proposal with uh, with Carolina. Can you start making up your mind? Well, it's funny because there's been a couple of GMs around the National Hockey League that have said that they wouldn't have the cojones to do that. So there's that. 
It's it's in it's, a wheelbarrow, it's, it's, fellas. In a yeah. wheelbarrow. You need a wheelbarrow to walk to walk it walk around. If you're Jim Rutherford, you need a wheelbarrow. <laughs> well, you need a wheelbarrow also to take that reported amount of cash, right? <laughs> if that's it's being thrown Elias Pedersen's way. Um, I guess for me, Frank reported it on Wednesday after with us, and then Thursday it was nearing, and then he said didn't really have a uh an end or a, or an end later a timeline as to when this happens. When do you think? Or when do you view that this might happen? I have no idea. I'm going to guess 3 p.m. today. 3 p.m. today <laughs> is my guess. That's my official guess. Because, And Harmon knows this. Or we, when Nikita Zadorov got traded here, it got announced at 3 p.m. Like, we were like, all right, Canucks fans, have a good weekend. See you later. And then they announced Zadorov and we had to fire back up. So you guys might you guys might have to do that. I know like you guys might have put in some overtime today. That's why I'm glad I'm not there. But I'm, 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 I'm sticking with 3 p.m. I'm guessing... 3 p.m. on a Friday afternoon, team day off. That's what I'm sticking with is 3 p.m. Quads, I wanted to ask you about Thatcher Demko. Uh, first of all, how did you view his performance in that L.A. game? Do you think he shares responsibility for that loss? And spe- specifically as well, bigger picture with his workload since the All-Star break, are you a little bit concerned with how much he's been playing? I am Harmon. I mean, I, I, I'm working on it for Canucks Army right now, and I hate teasing what I'm writing because sometimes I don't end up finishing it. But what I have put together is that from October to January, Casey DeSmith made 11 starts. Thatcher Demko made 25. From January to now, Demko has made 21 starts, and DeSmith has made five. Did I say DeSmith made five the first time? DeSmith made 11. Excuse me. He made 11 in that first stretch of time that I laid out. And he's made five so far. And I know the schedule's a little different. You had the all-star break in there. Things are a little bit different. But the fact that Demko has started that number of games, I applauded the Canucks so much early on in the season with how it seemed like they had a plan and they were sticking to it with Casey DeSmith and Thatcher Demko. They were just, you know, it, it almost didn't matter what happened in the games. It didn't matter when the... We lost him. Bye, quads. His future is so bright. The 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 sunglasses were just glaring at his, his computer screen, and the reflection of the ring light just made his computer and his internet there at his resort completely lose it. But- I, wonder, I wonder if somebody in the YouTube live chat saw him open talking about fantasy baseball and then just and decided hack to just computer. hack him. <laughs> fantasy baseball is – oh, I don't want to get into it. But, yes, fantasy – oh, there he is. You guys have oh. a question about fantasy baseball? Did you, just go to, baseball talk? <laughs> you just go to a different room? Yeah, sorry. I had to uh Teleported. had to leave the resort. Yeah, the resort okay. was giving me Wi-Fi problems. So I left the resort and I'll, I'll continue my answer. So what I said, and we'll get to your fantasy baseball question after if I know you have one. So <laughs> what what I was saying though was that DeSmith making 11 starts in that stretch, right? From October to January. 11 starts. And now he's made five in you know in two months here. And again, I know there hasn't been as many games, but the fact that Demko's made 21, that first stretch he made 25, like there were chances to get Casey DeSmith in goal. I think we just saw two of them that the Canucks elected to go with Thatcher Demko and harm the first part of your question, which was, you know, not, not was Demko to blame, but you were asking how much of it is on Demko. If you go read the stats, he's over at Canucks Army. Demko didn't do his part in that game. And I mean, you could just see it as well. Just games where, you know, when when Thatcher Demko slips up, he's not as tight to his post. He's you know a little lethargic in the crease, and I think we're seeing that right now. Even the, and look, Ian Cole was going to Narnia or something on that Fiala goal, <laughs> but Demko could stop that. Like Demko could have stopped that. I would say 
earlier in the year, Thatcher Demko might make that stop. You're not expecting him to. You're not saying that goal is on him, but just that East-West movement, reading the play, reading that Ian Cole was going to find the Narnia Lion Aslan, whatever his name was, reading that Ian Cole was going into Timbuktu, you had to know if you're Thatcher Demko that that pass is coming, that backdoor pass is coming. And look, you're not blaming that goal on him. That's not what I'm trying to do, but he does make that save if he's a little more fresh. You have to think that. And again, there were a couple other goals last night. Look, there's five to choose from. I'm not going to break them all down, but you know, Thatcher Demko doesn't usually let in five goals. 19 goals against in the last five games for the Canucks. If you add the Minnesota game, it's 29 in six. Yes, you're going to put this a little bit on the goaltending because that's where the stat is. The save percentage isn't good for Thatcher Demko right now over the last five games. However, that defense and the shuffling of pairs also hasn't been good, has it? No, it hasn't. And I've seen it on Twitter now. Like I've seen it on Twitter. People saying, why are you changing up the lines? Why are you changing up your defense pairings? Look, biggest Noah Juleson fan around, guys. But Noah Juleson on the first pair. Didn't love that. Didn't love that. But Tockett said it last night. You need Quinn Hughes and Philip Peronick to be better. Again, I'll point back to the stats. He's over at Canucks Army. That was one of Quinn Hughes' worst games of the season. As Michael called it, the worst game of the season as a Canuck. I'm not willing to make a, a strong statement like that. I have to go back and watch every game. I've learned that from Harmon, that if I'm going to make statements like that, I can actually know for sure. So... I'm not willing to say it was his worst game of the season, but it was a bad game. It was a bad game for Quinn Hughes. And look, with all this MVP chatter about, oh, who's the Canucks MVP? Is it JT Miller or Thatcher Demko? Fellas, without a doubt, it's Quinn Hughes. Quinn Hughes is the engine that drives this team. They go as far as he goes. And last night, he did not go very far. Not nearly as far as Ian Cole on that goal. Is the game on Sunday against Anaheim a must win? Because you look at the schedule immediately (laughs) after and... Not then you yet. got LA, yeah. Vegas, Winnipeg, and Colorado. It feels like Sunday's a huge get things right, get things back on track, stem the bleeding type of game. Well, when you've got the wagon ducks that you're going up against, <laughs> it, you can't ask for too much. But man, like it has to be. I don't again, must win sounds so you know, so dramatic, but yeah, like this team has three regulation wins, and what is it, their last like 15 games or something like that? I've been on vacation, so I don't know, but they haven't won much lately, especially in regulation. So, man, I'm just looking at it and saying that Sunday game, you've got two days off. Three, if you count last night when they took a day off, you're going to have these days off. You've got to come back and you've got to be sharp on Sunday. They're going to practice tomorrow is what we expect. I wouldn't expect it to be a grueling practice, but maybe it's one of those X's and O's practices. Rick Tockett likes to call them where they kind of go over some things. Um, you know, I... I I'm looking at Sunday and saying, yes, Casey Smith, first of all, should get the start in that game. And second of all, they better show up defensively in front of him because, look, the goals the goals last night weren't on Thatcher Demko. Thatcher Demko is an all-world goaltender, but the defense needs to improve no matter who's in net. That's true. I mean, you did say that he should have saved one of those, but we'll also digress on that. Uh, when you look at this team's forward lines, I look – me and Harm talked about it before we brought you on. Ilya Mikheyev playing in the spot with Elias Pettersson. He's an anchor on that line. I'm of the mind that Elias Lindholm needs to move up and he needs to play in that top six. You he, brought you brought him here for a reason. He's gone. He's gone again. I he think gone. he's going I think, back I think, to I think we should. I think we just should be done with yeah with, with quads right now. He's he clocked out officially. Yeah. He's well, like, I'm out. To steal a baseball term, that's two strikes. So maybe we uh, give him one more chance here. Oh, look at that. I do right. this show days a week from home a lot of times. Not you, can't, 
You're on two strike squads. Any problems? Maybe my page refreshes. I don't know what's okay. Sorry, maybe, you take, maybe, you should, maybe you should take off your sunglasses. You better not go down looking. That's all I'm saying. Oh, oh my eyes are. Oh wow, that was. Oh, nice tan, man. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Thanks. All the podcast listeners know how tan I am. Um, they're f- top six forward group. Like I, I'm of the mind that Elias Lindholm needs to play in a center role in the top six, and Elias Pettersson needs to be on the wing. I think that they need to make that work. He's their best faceoff man by percentage on their team right now. Um, and I think that that's the only way that you're really going to get the most out of a guy that you went and spent the big bucks for to acquire him. Why are you playing him in a third line role when you know that's not where he's best suited to have success? Or if I love that take. And I also love it because you have the center depth to make it work. Like with your suggestion, you don't technically need to, you need to get Nils Amon back in the lineup or anything yeah. like that. You've got Pia Suter playing the wing and he hasn't done much on the wing. So maybe he's your fourth line, third line center. Maybe again, like you assume when Dakota Joshua eventually comes back, you're going to want to reunite that third line as it was previously constructed, but you have the center depth. You know, we talk about when Lindholm's playing center, how great all their center depth is. You have the center depth, even with Pia Suter playing center. So Irf, I agree with you. Like, again, I I'm not looking at it and saying, yeah, Elias Patterson needs to get going, and the way to do that is by putting him at the wing. I don't know if I'm um, I'm coming from that perspective, but I am saying that you need to get Elias Lindholm going, and if the way to do that is by playing him at center with Elias Patterson, again, that experiment didn't look great to start, but I think the new experiment of keeping them apart is looking even worse, so I agree with you. I think you do have to go back to that. Yeah, well, and I think that when you have the elite level talent that you possess with your top six four groups, the potential, you just let them figure it out. They're good enough hockey players to be able to figure it out. Rick Tockett said it about Elias Pettersson after the game last night that he's too good of a player to be going through something like this. So Elias Lindholm is as well. So hopefully those two get reunited at some point on this road trip. Uh, David, thank you very much. Uh, Go back to your vacation, put your stunner shades on, do whatever it is that you're doing aside from not being here this week. Thanks, guys. I uh, also just want to say if a guest ever dropped on us twice, like Harmon and I, like we would never book that guest again. So I'm excited. This is my last time ever on the show. Uh, but uh, thanks, guys. And I'll be back on Monday, folks. Uh, I'm, ex- I'm looking forward to it. Let me know if you guys need me to do any ad reads, anything like that. David Quadrelli, ladies and gentlemen, the host of Canucks Conversation, uh, being so kind to join us on his vacation on Canucks Conversation here on Friday, Harm. Yeah, that's probably the highlight of the week from a Canucks perspective because I needed that on a Friday. I needed that after the game last night. Are you ready to enhance your future in tech? Then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that has more tech unicorns than France, Germany and Sweden combined. The nation that was third in the world to have a $1 trillion tech sector valuation. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. I feel bad for the fans that attended. Honestly, the first two periods were a snooze fest and then just an egg was laid in the third period. Well, I think it's just, it's frustrating if you're a fan because you look at this team and yes, they've banked so many points. They're, you know, the top of the division. They're near the top of the standings in the National Hockey League. They were there for quite some time. They have all this success. Quinn Hughes is playing well. JT Miller is playing well. Elias Pettersson is playing well. But against good teams in the Western Conference, Harm, they haven't been so hot. Yeah, I, I, I'll save the numbers I yes. have for, for the tune-up, yeah. but one point I wanted to make just because there's obviously been a lot of negativity and I'm at the point where during the stretch I'm concerned, but I'm not panicking about the Canucks. Yeah. Uh, and I'll tell you why over the course of a season or, or in a given, let's say 10 to 20 game stretch, even you're going to have, when you look at your forward lines, when you have your defense pairs, when you have your goaltenders, some guys are inevitably going to be hot and some guys are going to be cold. Some guys are going to be exceeding expectations. Some guys are going to be underperforming. And the idea is that as certain players go from hot to cold, that some of your other players that were previously cold um, will start producing again. So for example, if Elias Pettersson is quiet in this stretch, you would hope that Quinn Hughes is playing at the absolute top of his game. Um, That JT Miller, as he has been, is playing on top of his game, that you maybe got some depth scoring, and you can then weather that storm. And then later in the season, maybe your secondary scoring goes a little quiet, or maybe Miller slows down a little, and that's then Pedersen's turn to take over. And that's how, as a team, you continue maintaining success, even when you have not every player on your roster exceeding expectations. Now, going into the All-Star break, it was it's rare for everything to go right. That's how it felt like with the Vancouver Canucks, where everybody was exceeding expectations. Now, when you look at this rough patch, it's the opposite where everybody except Miller and maybe Besser and Hoaglander uh, as of last few games have been underperforming. Like it's not going to be that bad either. Like Quinn Hughes, isn't going to have another stretch where he's six points in 12 games. Elias Pettersson at some point is going to figure it out. Dr. Demko and Casey DeSmith aren't going to slip in play at the same time. Uh, Elias Lindholm isn't going to be this ineffective uh, the rest of the way. Your entire secondary scoring isn't all of a sudden, all at the same time, going to fall off the face of this earth because you just look at some of these numbers, right? Like, Pia Suter has not scored since the All-Star break. Ilya McKayev has gone 30 games without scoring. Teddy Bluger has not scored in the calendar year of 2024. It's been 20, 25 games. Uh, Phil DiGiuseppe, 
does not have a single point since November. That's the wild one. Like, that's crazy. Lafferty has six points in his last 31 games, right? And you look at those guys, all of them, in terms of the secondary scorers, were producing in the first half of the season. Even Mikheyev, especially through the first couple months, was scoring goals. Yeah. So at some point, you're like, that's why I'm not panicking. I'd be panicking if players were playing up to their potential and it's like, oh, they're just overwhelmed. This is just a stretch where almost everybody except a couple guys are playing bad hockey and that's going to reverse at some point. There's too much talent. Um, but they do need to figure this out because the schedule after this Anaheim game isn't getting any easier. Well, that's the thing. And I think that when you look at it, their big dog, like Elias Pettersson isn't going to go through March with just two goals. Yeah. Like, like he did in February. It's just not going to happen. And I think at some point, once you get into where you have that, you know, nine straight home games in March, you can kind of start to tinker. But in my opinion, Harm, like, correct me if I'm wrong. When it gets to April, end of March and April, you need to know who your four lines are because your tra- trade deadline is going to come and go on. We haven't even started talking about the trade deadline yet. The trade deadline's in a week. Um, the trade deadline is going to be come and gone. You are going to know your team. You can't be Rick talking and your coaching staff tinkering with things. You can't be, you can't have that. You need to have your line set. You need to have your defensive pairing set and you need to know what your power play units are. Because I think that that's another thing that you look at in this team and say, the mixed up sit by committee power play unit, it's just not going to work. You just mentioned there's too much talent on this team. You need to find a role for Elias Lindholm on that power play. You need to get the puck moving more. The other four guys just can't keep passing to each other and not shoot the puck. There were fans in that building screaming for Quinn Hughes to shoot the puck, and he just passed to JT Lauren. They passed back to each other. Like there, there are things, there's so many things that you know need to happen. And the Canucks are lucky enough that they've afforded themselves so many points and so many good stretches this season where you can kind of have a stretch like this. You don't want to get too complacent and be comfortable with this because obviously, you know, other teams can start to creep up and catch up to you, but they're going to have to fix it quick. Anyways, Mr. Lube, time now to get under the hood, brought to you by our good friends over at Mr. Lube Harm. The floor is yours. Yeah, so you mentioned Vancouver against the top teams in the West so far. And one thing that I'm keeping an eye on, especially as they're going to play a number of these top teams in the West coming up in March, is how much offense they're generating. Because they only scored two goals against Winnipeg. They only scored one goal against Colorado. Just one goal last night against the Kings. And then even in November when the Canucks played Vegas, they only scored one goal. And their first game against Colorado only scored two goals. So the Canucks have not been able to, out of those five games, score more than two goals. Now, they've beat up on Edmonton, who is considered one of the top teams in the West. Uh, But the Oilers are a different style of team than Winnipeg, Colorado, um, and L.A., where they're high-octane offense, but they're inconsistent defensively. And that's actually a pretty, I would call it, favorable stylistic matchup for Vancouver, this is going to be an interesting test the rest of the way for the Canucks to prove that they can uh, create offense against some of these stingiest defensive teams in the Western Conference. Well, I think, well, first of all, let me read this tagline, and then we'll get into it. That segment was brought to you by our good friends at Mr. Lube. Under the hood, a pioneer of the no-appointment warranty-approved oil change, now providing appointment-free tire service and sales. Find them at one of their 16 locations Across the Lower Mainland to find your nearest location, visit them online at mrlube.com. When are you 
we mentioned nobody's hitting the panic button. Jeff mentioned on uh, in White, and obviously there there are a little bit of red flags, but the concern might be starting to get there. But their record against elite teams in the Western Conference and the amount that they have to play these teams down the stretch, when is it going to start concerning you? If it if it might. Well, this next week is going to be an interesting test because, again, after Anaheim, you got L.A., Vegas, Winnipeg, Colorado. Those are the teams yeah. I, I just mentioned. And you've got to be a little bit careful in drawing conclusions from small samples as well because they have, for example, against some of the top teams in the Eastern Conference, they've had uh, a fair amount of success. Like they beat Florida twice. Um, they've had good times against the Rangers. Um, they had that great come from behind victory against the Boston Bruins. So you do wonder, is it specifically against these top teams in the West? This is again, where the schedule coming up is, I think going to, going to be a, a big indicator because it's, it's a question mark, but I'm not worried or panicking about it yet. It's, it's like a trend. It's, it's a yellow flag. We talked about Thatcher Demko and the amount of games and the sheer volume of hockey he's, he's seeing lately. You know, by all indications, it probably, if you look at it, should be Casey Dismiss' game on Sunday against um, the Anaheim Ducks in California. But do you think that do you think Demko's playing too much or has recently? For sure, especially because we know that goalies that play a ton in the regular season, you, you don't want to uh, run the risk of them then feeling fatigued for a long playoff run. Uh, because Connor Hellebuck, for example, last year played a ton of games in the regular season, dragged the Winnipeg Jets into the playoffs, was their team MVP. And then they met Vegas in the first round and he flopped in the first round. He did not look like uh, the Connor Hallibuck that we're used to. And part of uh, me did wonder about the workload in, in that instance. So yeah, I wanted to be a Casey Dismiss start on, um, on Sunday, especially because if we're bringing up this idea of Okay, Tuesday against the Kings, for example, you know that you don't have a lot of margin for error if you're playing a stingy defensive team. Yeah. That if you allow a couple of soft goals with, with a Casey DeSmith in that, who of course has been fighting it, that that might be curtains uh, in terms of coming from behind and how difficult it can be w- with how well a team like the Kings or uh, the Jets or the Avs uh, defend. So I do want it to be DeSmith on Sunday and it's, going to then be incumbent on the team in front of him to defend well, get back to their positive habits that they've displayed for most of the season that, of course, has been slipping a bit lately. Yeah, it's it's an interesting one because your max for Thatcher Demko should probably be like 60. Yeah. And he's going to hit that. Like, I think by all accounts, he's, 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 he's going to easily hit that and maybe even more. And I don't think that that's what you want you're the Canucks going into the playoffs, even though you're going to be a good seed and, and, and things like that is your goalie playing too much hockey. Now, what's to say that, you know, what if they've cliffed, clinched a division and clinched their playoff spot that Demko doesn't play a few of the last games of, of the season. Now, that's definitely a, some potential, but if you're Thatcher Demko, you're probably going to want to play. You're not, well, you're, you're not going to want to sit and have quote-unquote load management there, right? So I think that's another thing that you have to look at and be very wary of if you're the Vancouver Canucks is the load management of Thatcher Demko and if and when he gets into a situation where he is playing too much. He's going to tell you he wants to play every game. That's just how goalies are wired, that every NHL player wants to play as many games as they can. But at some point with Ian Clark and, and Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvin and even Rick Talkett, they got to have a, a serious sit down here and figure out their, their goaltending plan. Um, time for one of our favorite segments on the show because I don't have to do the ad read, so you take it away. 
It's time for anyone else presented by DoorDash. It's our listeners' chance to get involved and hit us up in the YouTube live chat. And it's also our listeners' chance to get 25% off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when they download the DoorDash app and enter code NATION25, offer valid in Canada, subject to change, terms apply. Well, I think we should start with what do we think, or if we look at, how would you line up? on saturday or sunday against the ducks how would you line up your top six forwards okay you're putting me on the spot here i want to see Pedersen and lindholm back together give it another try because i know it hasn't worked in the past but this experiment of lindholm driving his own line and Pedersen with mckayev has has looked even worse so let's get, game it out right now i think you go hoaglander Pedersen, lindholm reuniting the all, all swedes line okay and then I'm debating here. Do you want to? I think you keep the Miller line intact. Suter, Miller, Besser. I know Suter hasn't been that productive lately, uh, but Miller and Besser have at least been cooking in whatever. You can have a passenger on that line. It <laughs> doesn't really matter. Uh, I would promote Bluger into that. Uh... Ooh, now I'm going to have to think, actually, because you also don't have Baines there. Yeah. Mm, because I, I was initially going to go Bluger, Garland, and then I realized I don't have a left winger. Um. This is the problem that, that the Canucks are running into because you're going to have to put a fourth-line caliber player in that role. So do you put Mikheyev? It's, it's either got to be Oman or Mikheyev or Di Giuseppe. Don't know if that if there's the right answer there. Yeah. But then I'm drawing Oman into the lineup for Baines and having Oman send to the fourth line. Okay, what you said to me there is that they're in desperate need of another fourth line or another third or fourth line guy. Right, because you look well, at Joshua yeah. and then what's going to happen there. But even then, still, like when team, here's my thing: when teams are rolling their four lines in the playoffs, when you look at Vegas, like William Carlson was playing on the third line last year, when, and and they won the Stanley Cup. Like when teams are rolling their lines as good as they are. Now I know the Canucks, if they get into that point, you can put Elias Lindholm there. You're not going to want to, but you can. They just there there just needs to be some more depth, whether it's down the middle. You have the one down the middle, but I think there still needs to be someone else there that you go and get. Obviously, with the trade deadline a week away, so let's get to some people that have been watching and listening. Uh, Charlie Cole, Petey was awful last night, but his wingers have been inadequate for some time. Do you think they need to ride Lindholm on his wing to hope some to force some chemistry? We just talked about it. I think we can both wholeheartedly agree. Y e s yes, Elias Lindholm needs to. I think center that line and have Elias Pettersson play on the wing, and they can figure out the draws or, or whatever they want to do. Yeah, I don't care who's playing yeah. center, who's playing wing. You guys just figure it out. Rick Tocchet figures it out. But uh, that duo has to, I think, get uh, clicking. And these are the top guys, the big guns that I'm looking at to uh, drive the bus. I'm not as much as, yes, some of their secondary scoring has dried up. And yeah, you need more out of those guys. I'm not expecting them to be the ones to lead the Canucks out of this difficult stretch. To me, it does come down to Pedersen, Hughes, Lindholm, a lot of these names to start picking up the slack. So put them together, give them the best opportunity to build some chemistry to potentially succeed. And um, you hope to ride from there. Also, it's just, we can discuss line combinations, what what might work on paper, what looks bad. Ultimately, you if players are underperforming any line combinations you put together look bad well that's what i'm just saying like there's there's someone that says why don't we try putting mikhaev with miller and besser because i like, just it's a player's been underperforming and he's been an anchor on one line with one of the world's best players and he just hasn't had it this season it's it's a confidence thing he hasn't scored was it one goal in his last he hasn't scored in how many games was it 30 no yeah yeah he hasn't scored in 30 games 
So I don't really, really want to put a 30-game non-goal score with two 30-goal scores in the National Hockey League, and you know, you hope it just pray it works. I don't well, think that's going to work there. I also like what Rick Tockett said. He was asked after last night's game about shuffling the defense pairs, uh, is specifically in relation to Hughes and Hronik, and his his answer. Um, I'm paraphrasing here was essentially they just got to play better regardless of who their partner is. If they're playing together, if they're playing separately, they just need to play better and everything will sort itself out from there. And that's kind of how I feel about uh, some of these um, forwards as, as well. Yes. I feel strongly about Pedersen and Lindholm getting other shot together, but outside of that, like you can mix and match, do whatever you want. Last night, how many different line combinations did we see? We saw Baines up with Miller for a couple of yeah. shifts. We, we saw Lafferty up with Pedersen for a couple of shifts. We saw a lot of line just jumbling all over. It didn't matter because the players just aren't performing, and it didn't matter who they were playing with. They just weren't good enough. Grady, you got a question? Oh, I just took Harm off the screen. <laughs> Sorry about that, Harm. Um, so Rick Dollywall saying the Baines demotion to Abbotsford is not related to Dakota Joshua. So my question for you guys, what does that mean? Because they're probably going to have to want another, want to get another body on this road trip. Does that mean Vasily Colson call up potentially? Some people think they might get Phil Kessel in here sooner rather than later, although he hasn't played in Abbotsford yet. And of course, he's not signed, so... Is there a trade in the works? I'm I'm curious to get, hear what you guys think. Well, Amon's still like he's been sitting in the press box. <laughs> yeah. I imagine he's just yeah. gonna insert in the lineup. Is it, yeah. as, is it as simple as that? I think it's as simple as yeah, that. Okay. I think that Joshua is getting closer. This mm. was probably a sign. And I do also think that you know the the Archdean Baden's experiment was it, it was fun. I mean, it was a great story. Um, he got his feet wet in the NHL. He played some NHL games against some really good teams. You open up the season on the you open you make your NHL debut in Colorado against the Avalanche. That's pretty good, right? That 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 that's a pretty good story to be able to tell your family when you're when you're older. You know, you come home, you make your debut in front of your fans. Um, then you play against the LA Kings. Like he's gonna play in the NHL again, and he's gonna go down to Abbotsford and, and he's gonna work at his craft. He was the All Star MVP. This isn't you know our Steve going down. He's never gonna play in the NHL again. I think this is our Steve going down because they have someone either coming back or they just want to tinker with the lineup some more and maybe allow let our Steve go develop some more in Abbotsford. Yeah. He had a challenging night yeah. last night, yeah. uh, man- managing the puck. There were situations where, for instance, when he did get a couple uh, of shifts on the Miller line where Miller would pass him, pass him the puck in stride in the neutral zone. And he just couldn't corral the puck. He had difficulty handling it, um, having clean possession, making plays, holding on to it, helping his line get, established in the offensive zone uh, took another penalty uh, early in the game very early yeah. and um and th- these are the learning learning lessons these are the growing pains he's gonna go down i'm sure he'll have learned a lot and um he's a smart guy he's gonna figure it out he's gonna continue developing in abbotsford and he'll get a shot uh, later down the road at some point when you look at this team coming up here guys i, I can ask you both we have some time we're a week away from the nhl trade deadline what is one glaring thing that we think that this team needs? Grady, I'll start with you. Well, for a while, I've been saying another right shot defenseman that they can kind of slot in as a shutdown guy. I thought Chris Tanev kind of fit that mold, but I wasn't uh, sure if if that was going to be the option. I think it's becoming pretty evident here. They got to get another scoring winger or at least someone in the bottom six um, to kind of increase the overall depth. So... You know, and that, and then you got to balance. Like, what's that going to cost? Because deadline time, we see teams kind of 
you know, throw picks, prospects away. The Canucks have used up a decent amount of assets. Now they still have some prospects that they could dangle. But, you know, to Harm's point, like you look at the lack of goals against some of the bigger dogs in the West here. The offense is dried up. I know their shooting percentage has taken a bit of a hit. The PDO has fallen off. The save percentage isn't there. So, yeah, this is, this is a good point of the season where adversity is hitting them. And I think uh, I think a scoring winger would go a long way right now. Yeah, that'd be ideal. But <laughs> then you run into, again, it's acquisition t- costs. Tough. Yeah. yeah, right? Exactly. And, and that's and where, cap. Right. Yeah, and that's where I'm tempering my expectations a little bit. Yeah, if there's an opportunity to for the right price, go out and acquire another middle six driver, somebody who's not a complimentary piece, yeah. who's relying on others to create scoring chances, but who can sort of drive play a little bit more uh, on their own. Uh, sure. Uh, I mean, I would have liked from a value perspective, I think Anthony, Anthony declare could be a better fit for another team. I just don't think it works in Vancouver because declare is most potent off the rush and the Canucks don't play a, a style of uh of offense where they lean on rush offense. So outside of that, I don't think there are a lot of great bang for buck options. So I'm looking further down the lineup. Uh, I've mentioned it many times before, and I'm going to say a PDG upgrade. Yeah. I want to see somebody yeah. on that fourth line with some identity on, on an, like think of, think back to last night's game. They were flat. They didn't have energy. That's the sort of night where you need your fourth line to throw some hits, get it on the four check. I'm not talking about even scoring goals, but just build some momentum for your team as the bottom six actually did earlier in the season, right? We remember uh, there were plenty of nights where the top six wasn't firing and maybe it was a third line most commonly, but even occasionally as Sam Lafferty uh, helping, you know, the fourth line build some energy and then the top six would also kind of follow. Uh, that's what Vegas is you know, often had, for yeah. example, they've got, they've always had big boys on the fourth line that can muck it up, that can throw some hits, that can build some energy for their team. So uh, maybe another depth forward and another depth defenseman as well. Again, I'm not talking about a top four upgrade because no. again, I'd sure I'd like a top four upgrade on Tyler Myers, but so would they <laughs> have to be realistic on the price. And and that's where maybe just another extra body um, in case you run into injuries come playoff. DJ Seppi, one shot in his last seven games, just looking at the game long. And I know you're not expecting offense from a fourth line guy like that, but then you look at the last time he scored and this is excluding the empty net goal against the Habs, which was November 12th. You got to go all the way back to October 27th against the St. Louis blues. The last time Phil DiGiuseppe beat an NHL goalie cleanly. So yeah, again, he's a fourth line grinder, but push comes to shove, especially late on the season. You need offense from all four lines going into the playoff run that's the biggest thing i think for me i agree i think it's a it's a depth forward it's one of the guys that can can play up and down on the third or fourth line if you really need to move them up to the top six you can that's probably number one number two for me would be a defenseman depth defenseman i agree the acquisition cost for a top four is probably going to be difficult unless you're able to move some salary out which is also going to be a difficult move and i think the dream scenario for all canucks fans is a top six forward right? A scoring winger that can, you can either plug in with Elias Pettersson, Elias Lindholm, or maybe even play on that line with JT Miller and Brock Besser. I think that that's, that's obviously the dream if you're a Canucks fan, but it's it's just tough to make work right now. Well, also you made your biggest move. Like you you took your home on cut with Lindholm. The the biggest deadline ad would be figuring out Elias Lindholm, getting his fit right. In that move though, you kind of swapped out, well, you did swap him out for Kuzmenko. Now, it was an upgrade on him, but in terms of actual uh, raw guys in the on your roster, it wasn't really 
you know, adding another piece. Now, they got Phil Kessel sitting and waiting there. I'm wondering if that's kind of your depth move, and then you maybe go try to get another forward on top of that. But then again, goes back to Harm's point, and my point is, well, what are you giving up? Because we know every single playoff contender is looking to upgrade too, and then that's when you start getting into a bidding war, and the Canucks have used a decent amount of premium assets up already yeah see the phil kessel thing because i don't think there's much interest uh, except for the vancouver canucks around him he's sitting in abbotsford watching games hanging out and he's and he's skating he's skating over there they don't have to sign him until just before the deadline in a week so that one that that's that's besides the point i think to be honest like if they really want to sign him he's their safety net of a guy that they can bring in my thing is i totally agree with you grady like you went and spent or and, and you harm you went and spent all this your acquisition cost to go get Elias Lindholm. Why are you not playing Elias Lindholm where Elias Lindholm should be playing? I understand why talk had put him in that third line role just to try something different because him yeah. and him and Pedersen weren't clicking. But I also agree that, okay, you, you gave it a look. It isn't working now. Try something. Yeah. Else. They didn't need to go for it back to, they didn't need to keep going back to it. And I think that that was the biggest thing where you looked at it and even, and it, it just didn't make sense the first game, like the second time. Okay. And then for the third time, you know, you're playing LA at home. Why is he, and you need, you need a win. You want to win. It's a divisional opponent. Why are you not loading up your lines to, to try and win that hockey game? And I don't see many teams right now calling the Canucks on Ilya Mikheyev and taking his salary off the books. But I wouldn't also put it past this management group to find a way to jettison him out, his money out, and bring someone else in. Now, of course, you're going to have to pay a little bit. Uh, you're going to have to pay a decent amount, actually, to make that happen. And we saw that, of course, with Kuzmenko. But uh, they're going to have to get creative in that regard. But... The way McCabe's playing right now, like that $4.75 million cap hit could so be utilized so much more efficiently elsewhere in your lineup. But at least with McCabe, he's not necessarily hurting you defensively. It's just he's been gifted a premium chance with PD here, and he's not delivering 30 games now without a goal. Yeah, I mean, we can keep saying it as long as you want until he scores, but I, I think it's going to get to a point where McCabe is either going to find himself on the fourth line or in the press box. Right, because the Canucks are going to get into games where they need to win, and they they the games are going to get tougher as as we go down here into the playoffs. And you can't have a guy that's you know, for lack of a better word, an anchor, you know, bringing bringing one of your lines down. Yeah, it's it's tough too. I, I can't see a scenario. I'd be very surprised if they find a way to get yeah. off his contract because he's got two years beyond this one, and he's got a twelve team no trade list according to Cap Friendly. Uh, so and the injury history right like he's been injured his whole career the injury he was just coming off don't think he's recovered fully from that it takes a a long time for guys to not not just recover but get back up to the level that they were before so yeah that's going to be a tough one to move but again Rutherford has shown in the past look what he did with Tanner Pearson look what he did with Kuzmenko if he can find someone to make that happen without paying too much of a sweetener, then you never know. 4.75 is a lot of money, though. I mean, yeah. Kuzmenko was five, but, also, but you're bringing salary back. If you're Dan Milstein, you can construct that 12-team no-trade no trade, uh, list around the teams that have cap space. And yeah. then good luck. Good luck moving this. Well, that's the thing, right? And I, that's, that's where, I mean, look, there's another Dan Milstein client that we haven't even get time to get into that could also be moved as well on that team. And if they decide to try and go big, here in the next week around the deadline that's Nikita Zadorov. So future is going to be interesting for a couple 
uh, of the Canucks over the next week. That's for sure. A segment brought to you by the Four Winds Brewing family owned and operated in Delta. Home to the Four Winds Light Lager. A crisp, clean, easy drinking beer. A beer for everyone. A perfect beer before, after, or during the game. Ask for Four Winds Light Lager at your local liquor store. Or have some delivered right to your door through the online shop at fourwindsbrewing.ca. Yeah, uh, trade deadline a week away. Um, quickly harm among other teams, not just the Vancouver Canucks. And this is called Canucks conversation, but it's Vegas and Gensel, right? Like, like that's the one we're just waiting for. Yeah, <laughs> I, I am intrigued to see. Right, yeah. Vegas confirmed, of course, that Mark Stone is going to miss the rest of the regular season, so they can use his LTIR cap space. They said he's questionable for the playoffs. What I'm wondering is he's playing game one. <laughs> exactly right. Like, is he just going to? Come back for game one of the playoffs because, uh, I mean, look, the guy laxerated his spleen, right? No one's out here saying um, that this is some phantom injury. But, man, how how does this keep happening that the timing is like that? And, oh, just always ready. Oh, just the timeline is always game one of the playoffs. I mean, that would... Um, that's why they were able to add Barbashev and Jonathan Quick last year. And of course, Quick didn't really play, but Barbashev was a huge difference maker for them on that top line with uh, Eichel and Marcia. So, man, Vegas with Jake Gensel would be scary. But also, they just, as a team, have never been healthy this year. Yeah. Early in the season, they didn't. They were hammered by blue line injuries. Uh, they've missed Jack Eichel, Carlson, Carlson. So. A big X factor for Vegas is also just going to be outside of what they added at the deadline. Are they going to have a healthy team by playoff time? Yeah. The other one that's interesting is Dallas Stars. Tyler Sagan, they said that he's going to be back before the playoffs, so they won't get his $9 million cap relief Honest there. Dallas Stars. I know. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> just keep him out another week if I'm you. You can go hunting if you're the Dallas Stars. But anyway, it's interesting. It's the best time of year. Like, I think that this next week is going to be interesting. You're going to see lots of activity from around the National Hockey League. It's going to be fun. And it's going to be interesting to see what the Vancouver Canucks do. We didn't even talk about Elias Pettersson and a potential contract extension harm, but uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, this has been fun. Thanks for having me all week. Uh, I've quite enjoyed it, you and Grady and obviously the crew, and uh, we'll uh, hope to do this soon. But uh, yeah, Friday, March 1st, this is Canucks Conversation. Canucks Conversation with Harmon and Quads brought to you by the Toyota BZ4X. The BZ4X's fresh look is just an added bonus to its range since you can drive up to 406 kilometers on a single charge. That's enough to get you from Kitsilano to Whistler or Kamloops to Kelowna and back and still be home in time for the game. Now that's what we'd call electric. The best part, by choosing electric, you can get up to $11,000 in rebates and incentives the BZ4X are in stock and selling quickly, so make sure to visit shoptoyota.ca or your local Pacific Toyota dealer to get your hands on one. Canucks Conversation is live Monday through Friday, every weekday at 2 p.m. over on the Canucks Army YouTube channel. Make sure you like, subscribe, and interact in the YouTube live chat every day with us, folks.